from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. I had six different people's donation of basil in my dish yesterday, and that's what made it work, so. This week on the show, we talk with Heather Craig of The Community Kitchen about cooking for a crowd every day, improvising in the face of uncertainty, and sourcing ingredients from the community. That's coming up this hour. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Earth Eats. I'm Kate Young. People in the Midwest and High Plains are used to severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. But there's a weather phenomenon that's becoming a more common part of their vocabulary. Derechos. A year ago, a derecho swept across the Midwest and the Plains, bringing widespread damaging winds, tornadoes, and killing at least five. As Harvest Public Media's Katie Pikus reports, scientists are grappling with what the future of derechos could look like. On December 15th last year, it was unusually warm in central Iowa, 70 degrees, when a derecho blew through. It hit Matt Thompson's seed and fertilizer application business. There was a building there. You could see the pad still sitting there, the gravel. That's where one of the buildings was. Lost Grove Ag Services near Harcourt, Iowa, lost five of its six buildings. Thompson recalls getting to the business early the next morning to survey the damage. And when the sun came up, it was... We didn't know what we were going to do. It was pretty devastating to see. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget that. Derechos are widespread, long-lived windstorms, and this derecho was unique. The first recorded in December anywhere in the U.S. Wind gusts exceeded 80 miles per hour. The straight-line winds and tornadoes that accompanied left nearly $2 billion in damage, stretching from Kansas to Michigan. Iowa, in particular, has been caught in the crosshairs of derechos over the last couple of years. Bill Gallus is a meteorology professor at Iowa State University. He says derechos thrive on warm, humid air in the atmosphere's lower levels, creating thunderstorms, something the Midwest often has. Those thunderstorms are able to tap into very strong winds happening higher up in the atmosphere, even up toward the jet stream, so that they can bring those strong winds down to the ground. That is what happened in the recent December 2021 derecho in the Midwest. There isn't a lot of research on derechos, so scientists say it's hard to know how they'll fare in a warming Earth. Gallus says there's more energy in the atmosphere as it warms, and that could pave the way for more powerful and more frequent derechos. Since derechos like warm, humid air, you're probably going to be seeing them in places or at times of the year where you didn't see them before. So they may be starting to happen more to the north. But scientists can't say for sure, and some attribute the uncertainty to the fact that there's no official database for derechos like there is for hurricanes or tornadoes where they can look for historic trends. That's something the National Weather Service is working on. Matthew Elliott is a warning coordination meteorologist based in Norman, Oklahoma. He says derechos have no formal definition. When you hear the word derecho, it's got to trigger something. It's got to trigger that this is the worst windstorm that I'm going to see. 
Once they have a label and better data, Elliot says it'll make forecasting derechos easier and will give people more warning to get to safety. The National Weather Service has improved the alert system. That's after a highly destructive derecho hit Iowa and Illinois back in August 2020, killing four people. Now when a severe thunderstorm warning is issued with strong winds of at least 80 miles per hour, people get an alert on their phones. But Northern Illinois University atmospheric scientists and disaster geographer Walker Ashley says more should be done with urban planning and building codes. We build at the bare minimum standards in this country, and that has all sorts of consequences from heating costs to damage within extreme damaging wind events. After all, Ashley says as cities grow and sprawl out, they're putting more people in harm's way of extreme weather, like derechos. I'm Katie Pikus, Harvest Public Media. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains. Find more at harvestpublicmedia.org. From food banks to food pantries to soup kitchens serving hot meals, Nonprofit emergency food centers have become an important thread in our nation's social safety net. Here in Bloomington, the community kitchen of Monroe County serves free hot meals six days a week in their dining room on South Rogers Street. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. They have satellite express locations offering meals to go, a summer meals program for kids, and they provide meals for 22 Head Start classrooms in the county. The community kitchen also prepares food for other organizations such as shelters. They make meals for homebound seniors and chronically ill individuals. During the school year, they provide food for a few after-school programs and send food home with kids through their Backpack Buddies program. Suffice it to say, there's a lot of food coming out of that kitchen on South Rogers nearly every day of the week. You might have a picture in your mind of the kind of meal served in a soup kitchen. You might be thinking of institutional, cafeteria-style food, heavy on the brown gravy and overcooked canned green beans. Prepare for that image to be shattered. I recently spent time with Heather Craig, kitchen supervisor at the Community Kitchen. We talked about the bonds that form around sharing food and the particular struggles they faced during the COVID-19 shutdowns. Heather walks us through a typical day of meal planning and cooking for several hundred folks at a time and shares how she handles uncertainty with improvisation. My name is Heather Craig and I'm the kitchen supervisor here at the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. I have been working here for about eight years. I took over as kitchen supervisor about two years ago in the middle of the pandemic from Adam Summer, who had been here for 19 years. Heather had a roundabout path into this work. She's trained as a musician, a violinist and found herself working in food service for her day job. I love food service. I have worked with several chefs in town and helped open places such as the Upland, worked at Lenny's, lots of different places. I had gotten away from food service and said I was never going to do it again. So I was touring with a band. They decided to stop touring and get married. I was looking for a job and I saw this opening at the community kitchen. And in the back of my mind, I said I could go back into food service for something like this. So I came and I started working here part-time, cooking and helping with the volunteers, which we all take part in doing. And I just stayed and it 
stayed. And then Adam decided to leave and become a full-time father. So I took over and supervisor, and I love it. It's a very rewarding, very rewarding job. We at the Community Kitchen have several different programs. The one that people are probably most familiar with are the dining room and the express location where we serve dinner from 4 to 6 p.m. Monday through Saturday. These services are no questions asked, anonymous. People don't have to give us any reason for coming in. It's just no questions asked. We'll feed you. We welcome families. We have a nice family section. We have a broad spectrum of people who use our services. Our location here on South Rogers is a, has a sit-down dining room that we have their hot meals, and then we also offer cold meals to take home. Our West 11th Street location offers hot carry-out meals and cold carry-out meals only. We also provide meals for Positive Links, Area 10, Agency on Aging. We have Head Start functions out of here. Right now we're in the midst of our summer lunch programs where we have our truck and a couple vans that go around to different neighborhoods and park for a certain amount of time and offer food to kids. We also serve breakfasts and snacks to Boys and Girls Club, Girls Inc., and The Rise. And then we do backpack buddies as well, but there's no cooking involved. That's just packing groceries that we send bags home with children to help their families get through for meals. We have, in the last couple of years, added a service, hot food service in Ellettsville. We were able to get this amazing food truck. It's not the same kind of food truck that you see. We don't cook on it. We just, it's, we have a way to keep the food hot, so it's more of a transport. We've been utilizing that for the Ellisville service, and we've been using it in the children's lunch program this summer. The truck goes to three different locations. It ends up at the end of the evening at the library, and you can find the times and the exact locations on our website, or you can call us and ask if you have questions. We're hoping to expand that service to six to all full six nights. Right now it's just Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday in uh -huh. Ellensville. We're hoping to, it may be somewhere else in Bloomington. We're finding locations that are harder for, maybe people can't get here. So we're looking to expand that. But that's been an amazing addition to our fleet. It's going to give us opportunities to get to some places that we have not been able to before. Uh -huh. And Monroe County is a big county. It's not just yeah. Bloomington, and we're here to serve the county. So we're looking at more places we can go. And that hopefully we'll, we'll be able to reach some more people, but we haven't. Combining all of our programs, we probably serve six to 700 meals a day. Now that's with all the programs, but that's a lot. Here in the, the dining room and West 11th, our dinner service, we probably serve two to 250. And the numbers have been getting going up for many reasons. So you said that it's a no questions asked. Can you talk about that and just sort of the importance of that? Well, it allows people to not have, it's just there's, we don't ask for income, we don't ask why you're here. And one of the things that I think is really, I'd like to emphasize, a lot of people think of a, a community kitchen as the last, like last resort for food. You'll, people will go to a, like Mother Hubbard's before they'll come here. There's so many reasons. We have lovely, nutritious, we'll get into our food, what we cook and what we offer later, but we're here to help feed you. If It helps you put gas in your car so you can get to work. If you need help just to get you through a rough time, even if it's just a couple days a week between paychecks, we are here, it is comfortable. 
very, people are pleasant. Our volunteers are wonderful. And we're just, it's, I like to think it was more of a bridge than a net. We don't, I don't want, wait till people have fallen all the way through to help get you what you need. You know, if somebody's just like, I'm having a bad week, or honestly, you live alone, you're retired, and you just don't want to cook. You can't cook for yourself. There's so many reasons why people come here. I like the fact that we don't require any, any proof of need. But yeah, it just allows people, hopefully, to feel a little more comfortable coming in here and not any, no judgment, no, none of that. This is just a nice place. We've got good food. And we're just happy to have you and feed you. They have a simple sign-in sheet to keep track of how many people they serve, but you can use their services anonymously, and they don't allow photographs in the dining room. You can grab food and sit at a table and, and do your own thing. You're not going to be bothered. We do have Sarah who helps our patrons find services and things like she's a resource specialist. And she might come and talk to you and just welcome you. And I might welcome you if you feel, look like you want to. But if you don't want to talk to anyone, you don't have to. <laughs> you just come in and eat. And there's no limit on how many times a month you could come in? No. or Nope. You can come in every day. And I said you can eat as much as you can or want to at that at, at each evening. And, yep, no limits on that. We also have cold carryout meals that are reheatable or you, you can eat them cold. Not everybody has access to a microwave or an oven. So it'd be like a protein dish, a vegetable, and a starch. Because I could, I could imagine some people maybe feeling like they, they would like to, to get the food, but they're not sure about coming into the environment, that they're not sure they don't, I don't know, want to talk to people or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's so our location on West 11th Street is hot meals and you can get hot meal and cold meal to go they're in packed up so if you don't want to sit down and eat it's it, you can just go in there and get one and leave here we have we have a family dining area and we have we've had so many wonderful families it's it's just such a joy when the kids come in it makes everyone light up and it's very comfortable it's not completely isolated from the dining room but it's off in its own corner i think there are probably a lot of people have ideas of what a community kitchen is like and it's family friendly we really we want people to feel welcome here but we do enforce our rules first and foremost safety comfort people to feel welcome but also to feel safe here so it's i think some people are surprised when they come in the first time to really to see that it's a very it's a nice pretty comfortable environment heather says that if someone's having trouble following the guidelines or causing problems for others they will be asked to leave. Even then, she sends them off with a meal to go. She wants to make sure everyone gets to eat, even if they're having a bad day. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll hear about how the community kitchen adapted to the sudden and long-lasting restrictions of the COVID-19 pandemic. After that, Heather Craig walks us through the preparations of one of her garden-fresh vegetarian entrees for their Rogers Street dining room. Stay with us. Kate Young here. This is Earth Eats. I'm speaking with Heather Craig of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. In March of 2020, when restaurants and other businesses were closing and people were asked to stay home as much as possible to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 virus, Emergency food services were needed more than ever. I asked Heather to share what things were like at the community kitchen. I know a lot of people 
were stuck at home. <laughs> there were a lot of people who weren't stuck at home who were working and doing things and still needed the services. A lot of people needed those services even more with not having work. We did not, we never closed. We went to just carry out, carry out only, and we had carry out hot meals here at that during that time. And it was, people came in and they got their meals. If they had a place to go, took them. Some people just sat outside. I think the thing that really I, how amazing it was to see people just kind of keep an eye out for each other is that resilience is not necessarily a positive thing when I say resilience, but also how resilient a lot of people are and were. Yeah, I was amazed because I saw I was out in other places. I worked at another place at the time too, and human behavior was not at its finest and still may not be but we were people were kind and and helping Mm -hmm. helping each other and I just think that's my takeaway it was very exhausting for everyone I know it still is it's not not gone but that period of time when things were closed down and things were a lot more restrictive I think showed me some of the best things that I've ever seen in this community to be honest I was really really impressed there are definitely folks who it was very hard when we weren't open for sit down because this was where they get most of their socialization, but people watched out, noticed, knew this person or knew that person and tried to at least have some contact, whether it was outside or keep an eye on them. One of the most amazing things to me is how many people come back here after they don't need our services and just to check in and tell us how they're doing and how much this place meant to them. We have a handful of, of seniors that come in that I think is really important for them, for their social, I said, and I, I said, it's very, it's really neat when people come in and tell, check in with us and let us know how they're doing. And also it's really exciting when someone comes in and says, this, I'm probably not gonna see you that much. I got, you know, this, this job's working out or, <clears throat> just different situations, things are improving. It's, it's really great. And to know that, that being able to be here for people, you know, and have a safe, comfortable place. And, and obviously to feel comfortable enough to tell us what's going on, that just, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. And honestly, the pandemic really, I feel like, I know I and several other staff members and volunteers and patrons really kind of I don't want to say became closer, but had a better, a more stronger connection because we did. We could not have done what we did during the pandemic without our patrons being so fantastic. And then when we were able to have volunteers because they, our patrons were, they had to sit and eat outside, you know, through a year and a half. I think we didn't have service. We never closed any days. We stayed open and we fed people, but it was tough. You know, cold and heat and sitting there trying to eat up. Very, and everyone really gracious. Our, our, you know, we had, everybody had a few mask issues, but honestly, I think we had less problems than most other commercial, you know, grocery stores and things. People, you know, were much more kind and understanding. And really, when we opened up, the first day that we opened up, just said, I was just like, I just told every, all the patients, I was like, thank you. Cause I mean, people were emotional. It was very, this is a, a place for a lot of people. And it just was, 
told him how appreciative that we had done this, made it through together, and that we couldn't have done it if everyone hadn't been super wonderful. I don't even know how to say it. I mean, gracious is the word. Could you tell me a little bit about the kind of food that you make and where you source the ingredients? We offer a hot, nutritious meal. In general, the components of our meal, every night we have a hot main dish and we have a vegetarian option. We serve a side vegetable, a salad, fruit, beverages, and often dessert. So that's pretty basic. Now within that, there's a lot. We have wonderful, wonderful opportunities for ingredients. A lot of our canned goods, dried goods are donated. A lot of that's from individuals. I don't think people realize how much it just comes from individuals. We get, oh my gosh, we get amazing fresh produce now all year round from the market, from farm to family and other growers and other groups that bring the different markets. I think People's Market used to just bring it on their own. Also, Rose Hill Farm Stop has been bringing their stuff to us too. If they can't, stuff that's still good, but they're not selling. Our proteins, so we do have obviously some government funding and some grants and things like that. Right now, the county fair just happened, and this is amazing. So people bid on the animals, and then they donate them to us, and then we have a grant for rices to process the meat. I think we got like five cows and six pigs and two sheep and a goat, <laughs> which is a lot of meat. That's amazing. That gets our protein for a good chunk of the year. And that's also animals who are really well cared yes, for and raised. And yeah, I mean, you've got this is good. This is good, good meat. Again, amazing. I'd say at any given point, there's probably something in the meal that was locally sourced. I don't want to say 100% of the time, but most of the time, whether it's just winter greens and in the winter. Yeah, just there's usually something in there. Right now, there are two of us who cook most of the time. There's another woman here named Heather. <laughs> We're serving a lot of pallets. We're also serving people who are maybe getting their most of their nutrition in maybe this meal. So I can't cater to all the things, but we try not to make anything too salty, try and, you know, make it as healthy and balanced as possible. But that being said, we do have to stretch a lot of things with some starches. So there's usually pasta or rice or something like that with, with the main dish. I kind of sometimes say there's days that I pick that are comfort food days. There's sometimes once in a while I'll have like a fun meal. I'm like, hey, it's for kids day. Like we'll have chili cheese <laughs> something and then great, everything else healthy. But try and make it enjoyable, interesting, but not too inaccessible. I want people to be able to enjoy it. On Fridays, we do vegetarian, all vegetarian. We had had a grant last year for the side vegetable because up until last year, except in the peak of summer when we had tons of squash, most of our vegetables were canned. We had a grant that we ended up utilizing to get some frozen vegetables and fresh vegetables for the side. And we have since extended that a little bit on our own. So we have a little more variety because the canned vegetables are like, you know, peas, corn, carrots, green beans, everybody gets tired of those. And yeah. today I'll probably use one of our frozen options, just vegetable medley or something. And that's been nice. And then any day now, I expect the doorbell to start ringing and the zucchini and the tomatoes and the cucumbers will be flooding the doors. And that doesn't mean don't bring them because we'll use them. I, we love them. But then we'll be able to do some of those things too. We do salad and fruit. And I guess I should say the other big, big chunk of our fresh 
food besides the farm to family and local growers is through the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. And if you're not, people aren't aware, they have trucks that go around to all the grocery stores in town and get things that they can't sell. They're perfectly good. So three times a week, big truck pulls up. Me and my coworker get on and we basically grocery shop and see what's on there that we can use. And that's where we get a lot of our fruit and salad makings that aren't locally grown and things to cook with, the vegetables to add. So that's, it's very fun. We really don't know what we're gonna make 90% of the time until we get stuff up and it's, it's fun. So that's a skill that you have to have is being able to think on the fly and cook with what you've got and not having everything planned meticulously ahead of time. <laughs> yes, and that often when we get, it's when we get new staff, especially people who've worked at restaurants for a long time with fixed menus and meals. It, sometimes it takes an adjustment. The people who stay love it. I mean, it's, it's improvisational <laughs> to, to say. I mean, there are times just even people think that we have all the spices and seasonings. That's a huge donation. I think everyone who's been bringing us seasonings and spices because that makes our food a lot more interesting. But we may not have, like cooking, the basic things that people think you would have in your kitchen. So when people come in from a well-stocked professional kitchen, we do pretty good, but they're, yeah. I mean, I've made chili a lot of times without onions, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, and it's fine. People don't, yeah. But you just have to break yourself of that. I must have this ingredient yeah. to make it. And how do you respond to that? Like, do you, is that something that you enjoy doing? Do you find it fun? Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> In fact, almost all the time. I remember when I first started cooking, it was a little harder to break myself of the concept of I had an idea of how the integrity of the dish or I wanted it to be only squash. You know, And sometimes you have to make, we have to make at least 15 to 18 gallons of the main dish for our hot service. Yeah, you have to just keep making it <laughs> big enough. So sometimes you have to add things that aren't exactly what you intended, but still good. So I enjoy it. You said the zucchini and the tomatoes will start coming in. Yes. Well. Is, is that something, so can just individuals donate food from their garden? Yes, they can. Locally grown food. Directly. Yep. Yep. And even if it's not enough for the whole meal, it's still okay. You might find a use Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. That's the, you know, small amounts add up. Again, the vegetarian um, dish that we make is smaller. Okay. Sometimes it's just a little bit adds up. Don't, I think people feel like, oh, that's not very much. It really, it, it's, what is that old story, the stone soup where everybody brings, it's literally no stones involved, I promise. But that's kind of how it does. It's like yeah. people often say, oh, this probably isn't enough. But I'm like, believe me, it's, it's worth it. I had six different people's donation of basil in my dish yesterday, and that's nice. what made it work. So that's really good to know. <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners do grow food in their backyards, and sometimes yeah. you just have more than you need and you might want to know that this would be a great place to bring it. Yes, yes. To demonstrate the improvisational skills required to cook at the community kitchen, Heather Craig let me join her in the kitchen to see for myself. We'll get to that after a quick break. Stay with us.
Kate Young here. This is Earth Eats, and I'm talking with Heather Craig at the Community Kitchen of Monroe County here in Bloomington, Indiana. She's walking me through the steps of preparing a hot meal to serve in their dining room. We start off in the pantry, which is a good-sized room lined with shelving, organized into clearly labeled categories, and complete with a flow chart for sorting donations. There are sections for fruit, beans, baking supplies, peanut butter, and bins for things like onions and potatoes. So we're getting ready to start. Heather, other Heather just got here. My job today is cooking the main dish, and Heather and her volunteers will be in charge of the side dish. I had a little rough idea of what I was going to make, but generally, kind of come back, it's like, okay. So yesterday I had made pasta, so I know I'm not making pasta today. I made a creamy chicken, basil, egg noodle, summer squash. Today I have ground beef. I know, so we know what the protein, we pull that out of the freezer. So we kind of have at least an idea of the protein. I want to do what I call like unstuffed cabbage. That is just ground beef and will be some rice and some vegetables and peppers and cabbage. When I'm thinking and I'm getting an idea, do I have rice? <laughs> and we're not very high on rice. I've got one bag of rice. I'm gonna go ahead and grab that while we're back here. We're really low on tomato products, so I'm gonna have to, somebody, this was great. Somebody cleaned out their pantry and brought a bunch of tomatoes yesterday. Okay, and so you'll be able to put that I'll to have use. Some of that. We grabbed the dry goods and moved into the kitchen. So this is the kitchen. We have a giant tilt skillet, which has been amazing. We got that about two years after I started. Before that, we used these pans. These are these giant rectangular metal pans, and we had another stove. And like the heat was, I mean, the, it was crazy. So this has been wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Oh, love it, love it. <laughs> Next, Heather led me into the walk-in cooler. And then this is where we keep our protein. So I'm gonna grab, I have 30 pounds of ground beef and our meat allowance is 30 pounds a day <laughs> for our meals. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and grab oh. that. and then we can grab other ingredients. Now, the one thing I'll have to do, and hopefully this, you may have to adjust sound, is I have to turn on the hood. Okay. So let's see how much that. So I'm going to throw the meat in to start browning, and then we will start on the vegetarian dish. Okay, sounds great. So I'm heating up my tilt skillet. It's like a giant square stainless steel contraption that has hydraulics that lift it up and down so I can dump food in and out. And it's just, it's like a big skillet. <laughs> you just cook in it. But they're very neat. Cooking big batches. Throw this ground beef in so it's getting started. These are big 10 pound, what they call chubs of meat, which I don't like that term, but what they call them. With this main dish, I will brown the ground beef. I will add some onions, some chopped sweet peppers, multicolored peppers that we have. I will chop up some cabbage that was local cabbage, by the way, and some seasonings, and then I'll cook rice. So it'll be like basically your components of a stuffed cabbage, but unstuffed. <laughs> and the fun part, get the gloves on. <laughs> And I'm going to break it all up with my hands. My gloved hands. Works better than anything else. 
While the 30 pounds of ground beef was browning in the tilt skillet, Heather got started on the vegetarian dish for the day. So one of the things our volunteers do, help us do, is get things chopped up. We have from 11, basically to 1.30 to cook all our food. So anything that can be chopped up ahead of time is really helpful. Yeah, I'm gonna grab some things from the cooler here. So this is one of the things Farm to Family brings us, are these amazing mushrooms, which I'm sure people have seen at the farmer's market. Yeah. We have the little trumpets, and these are so gorgeous. <laughs> While my meat is browning for the main dish, I'm going to work on my vegetarian side dish, which in my mind is going to be some sort of Creole kind of vegetarian thing since I've got mushrooms, okra, some onions, some peppers. I'll add probably a little bit of tomatoes. Either we'll serve that with rice or if I get the chutzpah, I will make some cheesy grits, which is super fun, which I may just do. That sounds very good. So it is nice that I have some of my things prepped. I have a nice large skillet. Covers about four burners. <laughs> yes, we get some oil in there. Ooh, and I believe I have some chopped garlic. Oh. I'm gonna see if I can find some celery. Okay. This is where you go. Maybe I have celery, maybe I don't. She didn't have celery, but she found some Swiss chard from a farmer's market. Not necessarily the same profile, flavor-wise, but I'll get some nice crunchy stems off of that, make some color. And we'll add the greens. Yeah, seems good, right? <laughs> and this is how it is. It's yep. like, oh, yep. the, what do we got? And it's very, like I said, very fun. Especially when we have things around like this. Yeah, I guess this time of year is good. Yes. So I'm going to take some of these onions. Look at this nice chopping job one of our volunteers did. Woo! Pretty good, pretty good. I love that, just pouring it in. Yeah, there's no pressure. <laughs> I will measure some, when I go to make the rice, I will actually measure. But yeah, it's just really, it's like cooking by feel for sure. You could be, I'm sure, really, really approach this differently. All of us who cook approach cooking a little differently. I kind of cook like this at home anyway, just kind of wing it. I don't really use uh -huh. recipes, so for me, it's, it's perfect. So I'm gonna put, we compost here. We have a local company that comes and gets all the compost. Some of it goes to pigs that <laughs> eat it. So I'm just gonna chop up some of these rainbow chard stems. We've got lovely pink and yellow and orange, yummy, yummy. And save the leaves over here. Oh my gosh, it looks like a peppermint stick. <laughs> already beautiful. I better grab a spoon. Some garlic scapes, which I think would be fun. Add a little more flavor. We have so many. I'm going to chop them up pretty small. So mostly for the flavor today. Yeah. They're so fun, but they're very unruly. Oh they're so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wrestling a squid or something. But yes, this is, again, just some of the fun. You can see how it can be very enjoyable to come in and just see some of this produce and figure out how to utilize it. Now, are you somebody who tastes as you go? Like, or as you get towards the end, do you try to find out, okay, is this flavorful enough? How's this doing? I definitely taste. I definitely taste. The two things that I really have to watch out for here is we can't make anything too spicy and the, and the salt. We don't go too salty. So I'm actually, as, as an individual, kind of a low salter. 
The heat is pretty easy to avoid, but it's hard. Like I'm making something that I might want to make spicy. One of the most appreciated donations by the patrons is bottled hot sauce. Because <laughs> then the people who like it, usually a bottle of hot sauce goes in like a day. I like to taste things. Usually have a coworker taste it as well as somebody else. For that salt factor, does it need a little bit more? I'm gonna dump these in here. Oh yeah. The other thing is the I wish I had, they would make it even amazing, but you do that at home, right? Everybody yeah. does that. It'd be better if I had, I mean, like if I had a load of fresh tomatoes right now instead of canned for that, that would be super cool. Okay, I'm gonna work on these mushrooms. Top these up, rough. And then this is my question. Do I make it, keep it vegan? I said maybe making cheesy grits, so we're already kind of veering away from vegan. So I'm thinking a little butter because I've got these gorgeous mushrooms, right? So I think I'll go get a little butter, if I have it. <laughs> Throw the rest of these in here. And stir those up. All right. I am going to see if there is any butter. And she found one pound of butter in the cooler. It's mine. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to take it to the next level. <laughs> I think so, too. It's like, who doesn't want butter in there? And even though I said I do make, we do make vegan, we don't have, we really don't have that many people who really are restricted. We have a few allergies. I, I try and pay attention when people tell me what they're allergic to so I can tell them not to eat something. Yeah. So now... Actually start adding a little seasoning. I have the garlic scapes. Now I'm kind of torn with that nice garlic flavor being overpowered by this pre-chopped garlic. So I'm gonna grab a spoon and see what so it smells probably, amazing. Just with all those vegetables. I it smells incredible. Like if I had fresh corn off the cob right now, this would be perfect. The mushroom. It without salt already. I can add it can add garlic. It's very nice right now. Something with when the stuff is this fresh, I usually wait to salt it. I like to taste the true flavor of the vegetables before. I know some things it's nice to salt them right off the bat, but now is a good time to add a little layer. So this is one of those days. We don't have any ground pepper. We just have these little. So I'm going to for this dish. It seems okay, right? But for the big dish, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of grinding. But at least I have some. That was not very much. <laughs> but I do have some white pepper, which will go with this as well. So a little black pepper will do paprika. I'm a fan. Oh, it's smelling so good already. A little bit of coriander. We don't have celery. I did have that chart, but I'm going to put a little celery seed just for that little bit of celery taste. Not too much. I am a big fan of a little bit of 
nutmeg or allspice or cinnamon or whatever in, in the food. I think that that, in most dishes, adds a nice depth. Not enough to necessarily taste it, but I'm a cinnamon and my chili kind of person. <laughs> All right, that is the with the vegetables and seasonings simmering, Heather ducked into the pantry for some cans of tomatoes and beans to round out this vegetarian main dish. Unlike in a restaurant where they use large number 10 cans, most of what's donated to the community kitchen is in the small household size cans. Luckily, they have an industrial motorized can opener for the 50 to 100 cans that they often need to open to complete a meal. I'm so glad to see that because I was worried about all those cans. <laughs> so this, these are crazy can openers. Motorized can opener. Amazing. <laughs> this is some volunteers' favorite tool, some volunteers' least favorite tool. vegan meatballs from the Hoosier Room, and I made like a teriyaki meatball thing. So sometimes we have that, pre but we really, it's a lot of beans, and of course we don't get a lot of the, the meat substitute donated, but also I think it's just, it's healthier. I mean, that's what I prefer to eat now. It was time to give the dish another taste. All right. I think it needs more, there's enough fresh vegetables, I almost like it just kind of clean like that. I think maybe some garlic. I, I don't think it would hurt to add some garlic. I was afraid it wasn't going to be salty enough. It could use a little salt, but it's not It's not completely bland. That's what my taste buds are, so I think I'll do a little garlic. I think I'd probably go a little bit more on everything, to be honest. I love how saucy it's already gotten just know, from the, all those I'm veggies. Debating. I'm debating the butter. I was thinking about adding some veggie broth, but I think I might just let it be with its own. Might, it's uh, making its own veggie broth. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's way better than the. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to do the cheesy grits. Add over some cheesy grits. Yeah. I think it's going to be all right. I love the, the mushrooms and the okra. Oh, I love yeah, okra I mean, so my much. This, I, I do that like farmer's market stir fry at home all the time with the okra and the wax beans and green beans and corn off the cob and fresh tomatoes. And this is, and next time I go to the market, I'll buy some of those mushrooms so I can do that at home. All right, so that's that. Okay, so you made a vegetarian dish yes. in what, five minutes? No, no, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a lot longer than that. But honestly, that it helped that I had some stuff cut up, but. But thank you, and thank you for helping me taste it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for letting me tag along while you did all this. Oh my goodness, it was a pleasure. That was Heather Craig, kitchen supervisor at the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. For more information on their programs and to see some photos of Heather in action, 
go to our website, eartheats.org. The Community Kitchen has an interesting annual fundraiser called the Chef's Challenge. I spoke with Assistant Director Tim Clower for the details on this year's event. So we're bringing back the Chef's Challenge after a couple years of hiatus due to the pandemic. And uh, basically, as it's worked in the past, we'll have three chefs that will be competing. They'll have an hour to create a dish from a pantry of ingredients, and they are judged on not only what they create, but their incorporation of a local secret ingredient, which will be announced right before they begin. The three chefs this year are Eric Bueno from Feast Market, Alan Booz from Meadowood Retirement Community, and Bob Adkins from Truffles Restaurant. In addition to the competition, we'll have a bunch of appetizers from local restaurants, as well as the BCT will be serving beverages throughout the event. And we're kind of looking at this event as um, a celebration of the local food industry and the restaurants. Along with us, you know, every place has really struggled over the past few years. And uh, we're actually reaching out to them to purchase and support them by getting appetizers and including them in this event as a celebration. So a little bit different twist this year. Normally we've had bistro seating for folks to sit and enjoy what the chefs create. In this case, we're just gonna have the food created for the judges. We won't have the bistro seating, so that part will be slightly scaled down, but the competition and the food and the fun will all be back once again this year. Do they know ahead of time what they're gonna be making, or are they just kind of cooking on the fly? They know what they mostly will have to choose from to incorporate into their dish, that isn't real helpful. It is to kind of have a game plan because it's going to be a fruit or a vegetable. Could be a protein, perhaps. So you're talking about the secret ingredient. The secret ingredient, yeah. So there will be a pantry of, I think it's over 200 different items. A lot of stuff will get at the local farmer's markets as well as things that get donated through some of our food distributors. But we basically try to outfit the pantry with everything from a variety of broths and oils and spices, cheeses, all those types of things. So the one thing that they don't know is what the secret ingredient will be. And uh, over the years, I've seen chefs prepare and think for sure they know it's going to be peaches and then they bring dry ice and they're going to make some crazy dessert and then boom, it's garlic, you know. So it's it, it's good for them to have a game plan of, for a variety of different things. I mean, we've done this 13 times, so uh-huh. I don't plan to duplicate any of the secret ingredients that they've, we've used. Um, they've all been local, you know, things that uh-huh. you can get at the market, and we try to highlight a particular farmer. So uh-huh. we've done corn, sweet potatoes, eggs, peppers, mushrooms, apples, garlic. Okay, here's the question. So do they have to just 
use it in the dish or does it need to be highlighted? Yeah, they do need to, they get judged on that and it's a pretty big part of the judging. So the more they incorporate that secret ingredient, the better. There are some things like if it was onions, for example, that are in a lot of different dishes, but the the skill comes from really highlighting that particular item and kind of building around it. So nice. yeah, it'll be interesting. That sounds like a really fun event. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It's one of our, besides the brunches that we do as fundraisers, it's one of the big events for us and it's again it's always been a celebration for industry folks we are offering discounted tickets for folks that work in restaurants the event is on a saturday so understandably a lot of them will be working but we are trying to kind of give a little boost back to them they've always been and by they i mean folks in the industry have always been very supportive of us oftentimes we have had industry restaurant folks here volunteering on the one day a week that they have off just a very giving group of individuals and so it's a way for us to give back and also kind of put the focus on them a little bit thank you so much i appreciate it oh yeah no problem That was Tim Clower, Assistant Director of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. This story originally aired in July of 2022. This year's Chef's Challenge has already happened, and the secret ingredient was basil. The winner of the golden spatula was Eric Bueno of Feast Market and Cellar. Find more information on our website, eartheats.org. Kate Young, and that's it for our show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young with help from Aabon Binder, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Toby Foster, Samantha G, Abraham Hill, Peyton Whaley, Harvest Public Media, and me, Daniela Richardson. Special thanks this week to Heather Craig, Tim Clower, and everyone at the Community Kitchen. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from the artist at Universal Production Music. Our executive producer is John Bailey.